welcome to another episode of Talking Tropes. I'm Hannah. I'm David, and we're here today with my good friend, Charlie. Hello. Uh, and uh, I'm going to let him Hi. introduce himself. Uh, what do you do, Charlie? Uh, I work in visual effects. I've worked on Bumblebee, uh, Life, the Jake Gyllenhaal one, not the Eddie Murphy one. Um, yeah, <laughs> I spend a lot of time around artists. I'm not an artist myself, so I would like to give that forewarning that nothing I say comes from any knowledge of any artistry. It's just being around people who are much more talented than myself. <laughs> um, don't be so <laughs> modest, uh, because uh, I thought I thought Bumblebee was really quite good, and you were in it. I was in it, yeah. If you <laughs> pause the movie at one point, you'll see me in the background pointing at a screen, very concerned. <laughs> got a hollywood royalty with it. <laughs> <laughs> technically a body double for Haley steinfield uh no for bumblebee or for bumblebee I mean... yeah <laughs> yeah you'll never see it in the movie itself but the the giant robots were just me and another pa running around with giant painters poles <laughs> so it's amazing there you go like i said hollywood royalty <laughs> um <laughs> so today we're, we're going to be talking so... about a concept in uh in visual effects in film, but also just in psychology and in the world around us. We're talking about the uncanny. The uncanny valley. Right. Yes. Uh, but I, I mean, I kind of want to broaden it out, too. You know, like, beyond the uncanny valley. Maybe that's the, the title of this episode. Um, beyond. <laughs> uh, because... Journey through the center of the uncanny valley. Right. Because the uncanny, it's not just... We do traditionally think of the uncanny valley as representations of, of humans uh, or, or animals that as they approach the perfectly realistic representations of like a photograph, they enter this realm that we call the uncanny Valley where it's close, but no cigar. Right. I think that's, yeah. And, and it, it creates a feeling of unease right. in the viewer. It's, you know, if you've ever seen like animatronics that, you know, they move, but they don't really move the way humans do. And it makes you feel unsettled. Like that's the feeling that we're, we're digging into today. Right. But I think the uncanny sort of goes beyond that. I think it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that make you feel unsettled. And I think, uh, we're going to be drawing a lot from, from Freud's definition of the uncanny, which he sort of borrows from, uh, Gench. And they talk about, uh, you know, that the uncanny is, is the, the making real of something that we thought was only fantasy or, you know, that, that we, didn't think could really exist in the real world. Um, and we want to talk about that through visual effects. Um, so I don't know. Where should we start? Anna? I, I didn't think about this. <laughs> <laughs> should we start with cats? Um, should we just start right in with cats? Let's, let's start with cats. All right. Why not? Charlie, I want to hear let's your take on it. cats first. Uh, from a visual effects standpoint or just in a consumer standpoint? I Either. Alright, well, I hated Cats. I thought it was a miserable movie that was two and a half hours longer than it should have been. Um, visual effects-wise, I actually thought it wasn't bad. There was, uh, you know, a lot of the fur work that they did on the cats worked pretty well. It didn't feel like CG fur for the most part. Um, it doesn't look cheap. No, certainly. it doesn't look cheap. The the ear animations, like, they're very subtle things, but, like, all their ear twitching that they did it looked very cat-like, so that was good. On the whole, technically, a lot of the effects, I thought, succeeded in a lot of ways there were definitely a lot of ones that didn't in many ways the right. environments were not very good especially the ending when they're in trafalgar square and it looks like it's just a giant video game um <laughs> well that, a lot great. of that is like it's like a physical set with like cgi so, over top of it right in some sense yeah most of the sets that they actually were on for most of the movie like the london alleyway and like the house that they go into at one point all of those are practical set sets and anything that they needed to enhance or extend would be cgi the Trafalgar set was at the end of the movie, and I'm pretty sure that that was entirely see like a green screen that they just put uh, the background on. I could be wrong, but because it's an entirely exterior location, I don't know what they would have built for that, especially because none of them were really interacting in any way with the lion statues. Mm -hmm. So my guess mm -hmm. for that is they probably just had like a big riser covered in the green screen that they just replaced. I see. Um, could be wrong, but it didn't look... There wasn't a single part of that that looked as physical or practical as any of the other sets in the movie. Right. I mean, it's become more difficult to tell. Absolutely. Yes, definitely. And that's something that I find interesting in terms of VFX and the Uncanny Valley is we are constantly surrounded by things that are almost but not quite real. In, in a lot of ways, we've sort of climbed our way out of the Uncanny Valley when it comes to buildings 
and uh, environments, like forests, you yep. know, things that are organic, but but still they're more physical and material than they are in motion. Yeah, and the other thing I think, just for humans in general, like humans have evolved to recognize faces and other humans to such a degree mm-hmm. of detail that it's really hard to replicate that with a computer. Whereas like we know what forests look like, but we haven't spent our entire evolution recognizing like the subtleties and tree bark <laughs> and things like that. So it's easier to make a fake tree and make it seem relatively real without a human noticing the inconsistencies in it. Whereas if you make a human face and put it yeah. right in front of a camera, we're evolved to know how fake that looks if it's not perfect. Right. So, I mean, we're looking at real human faces in cats, but they're just a little <laughs> off. Yeah. So is that the mistake? Should they, should it have literally just been like, like a uh, cardboard animated? <laughs> Oh yeah, should they have just been like fully animated cartoon or or should they have been maybe like just completely human faces with makeup uh, and then just have their the rest of their body in CG? Yeah, I think that probably would have helped. The thing is that because so I've looked at behind the scenes of cats and like tried to see how they did it. And a lot of times when you're doing like mocap or something like when they did Infinity War and Endgame and they had Thanos where he was Josh Brolin and his entire face was CG, mm. they have a lot of tracking markers that are all over the entire face and there's lots of dots and everything. And it's so that you can capture that exact physical performance. And they have lots of cameras that are over the face and all sorts of technical stuff. And cats, because they were dancing all the time, they couldn't really have that equipment because it would have mm. just gotten broken. Right. Um, so mm-hmm. they had a much... I don't want to say rudimentary, but it wasn't as technical as that kind of level of motion capture that you would use on another film. And so I think that a lot of the face stuff that they did wasn't replacing the face completely. If they had just done like a full CG face replace, it might have actually looked a bit less weird than augmenting the actual faces <laughs> because it wasn't like completely built from the ground up. So it was you're taking a human face and then putting CG stuff over it, like making it all furry and cat-like. And it's kind of in that in-between where we're adding that step that things start to break and look a bit off. I think if it was a full CG Mm -hmm. cat face, it would still probably look wrong, but it wouldn't look as uncanny because it wouldn't seem like it was supposed to be real. And that to me seems like a natural transition uh, unless, you know, you have another point, Hannah. Well, I, I, I had a question yeah. because I heard about the, there was like a CGI like patch that like within like the first two days of the movie happened. And I'm just like very curious about like your thoughts <laughs> as someone from the industry about like, it doesn't seem like that's normal, you know, or that's how a I movie think it actually work. is more normal, isn't it? You the know, CGI. What? So the, the, during the initial premiere, mm-hmm. the effects were not actually finished. Oh, yeah. And so um, for the actual na- national release, they had more effect than there were in the premiere. So, or it was like two days into the national release yeah, or something so like that. Yeah, so that kind of like uh, movie DLC update is not <laughs> is definitely not standard. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's uncommon for a movie to be doing the effects right up into release. Um, I've had friends who've worked on movies uh-huh. that like they were finishing shots up until four hours before the premiere. Um, oh my god, so, wow. It's not uncommon to be cutting it that close, but it is very uncommon to be doing like a post-release update, and especially because I don't think it really added very much. <laughs> well, you didn't see both <laughs> well, sides, you know. You don't know how bad true. it was beforehand. That is very true. <laughs> From what I hear, there was like literal fur that was staying on one side of the screen while the dancer was had moved to the other side of the frame. So <laughs> oh, I'm no. gonna guess it was probably. Probably for the best that that they patched it. Right. Uh, Well, I think that, you know, sort of leads into the discussion of the corporate structure of VFX studios themselves. And the fact that um, we recently found out that, uh, uh, I forgot the name of the company. It's it's MPC. MPC. The moving picture company closed down their Vancouver studio uh, just after this you know, Sonic movie was, was wrapped. Um, yeah, they did Sonic cats. Uh, they were the ones involved with the lion King, right. the other movies. I think they did Blade Runner 2049. They, yeah. They Not started, it, but some they, they started with doing a lot of the effects work for, uh, Zack Snyder's Watchmen back in, in 2007. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've been, they've had a part in a lot of really good movies with good visual effects. I thought that the, they did the detective Pikachu one, uh, some shots for that. Um, you know, I mean, oh, yeah. the thing is that, that it's hard to, like, give credit to any one studio for anything because people just, you know, rent out 
Yeah, right. they'll usually. Uh, so when a movie gets finished and turn, you start turning over shots, you'll usually have one primary vendor that's going to be the company that's doing the main work on the movie. And so for Cats and Sonic, that was NPC Vancouver. But then you'll, if as you progress through the movie and you discover, oh, there's so many shots and there's too much for one vendor to do, or we need this particular kind of work, you start kind of spreading out the shots to different vendors and having them do different things. So there are some right. vendors that are specific for cosmetic work. There are some vendors that only do graphics. So like if you're watching a Mission Impossible movie and you see a bunch of fancy technology on the screen, that's a specific vendor that only makes mm. those screens. So when we say that NPC Vancouver was the one who did Cats, they're the ones who did the majority of the work, but there were probably other vendors who were involved as well. Yeah, they might not have necessarily done the Trafalgar Square Lions because yeah. that's like just, you know, <laughs> quick, cheap work that you can just get better in China, you know, or wherever you can rent it out to. Yeah. Um, the, the interesting thing to me is like that a lot of those costs, if the... Um, if the studio does decide to rent those out, they land on the overhead for the the initial studio, not for the studio who shot the film, but for the initial um, VFX studio, right? So if it's like it's their decision whether to to, to push it out to other places. Uh, not a hundred percent. In some ways, yes. If the stu- if the vendor decides we have too much going on and we right. can't support this level of, of sh- output. Um, they could potentially talk to the VFX producer on the studio side and be like, hey guys, like we, we can't finish this many shots. We need you to branch out. But I would say a lot of it usually comes down to the production side, and the, pro- okay. the VFX producer on that side will determine we can't get def- like we can't get a finished movie from this vendor within our budget. We need to go somewhere else and get it cheaper. So that's usually what it comes down to from from what I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always going to be different factors on every show because there's never one show that's the same as another. But right. uh, I think it usually comes down to trying to fit as much as you can into the budget that's set up at the beginning of the movie. And usually as the, shot, the sh- show evolves and different things become different. Um, that's one thing on Cats in particular. I've read that uh, the show was just kind of constantly changing all the way up until the end, so that makes mm. it really difficult for Vivex work to get done. Right. Um, so I, you get I, noted to death. Yeah, you get noted to death, or just like the cut changes, or they go back and do reshoots, or whatever it is. Um, anytime you have to make changes or prevent the work from just being finished the way that it was originally turned over, that is going to add cost and make things a lot more tricky. Right. So that's sort of what happened with uh, uh, MPC, um, which is that they overworked to shit their employees. They were working, I mean, and this might not be, unfortunately, this might be somewhat common, but they were working, you know, seven day weeks. Uh, they were working 17 hour days. They were doing a lot of overtime Basically. and it was expected. And if you weren't able to work that overtime, you, you got shit canned. Um, is that, you know, not to. I mean, I I can't speak to NBC specifically because obviously I've, I've never worked there, and right. all the work that I've done has been production side. So I'm working with a studio or with a production team, and we're giving the notes and uh, giving the comments to the vendors. So I've never worked on the vendor side and seen that firsthand. Mm-hmm. But from what I know and from what everyone I've talked to, it can it can yeah be pretty hellish working on that side of things. Right, and, and it seems like you know they were just overworking them. They had taken on too many projects, you know, to do Lion King, which is just such a. I mean, that project must have, like, it must have completely dominated them to have to design and ent- basically do an entire animated movie, but just through VFX and make it photoreal and make it photorealistic, which has just never really been done before. Um, so there's no apart way to like Jungle Book, but, apart yeah. from Jungle Book, but that you know. <laughs> At least they had shots to go off of. The, you know, they were integrating Mowgli in live action, I guess, and real mud. So that I guess that helps a little. <laughs> a little. In some ways, that would probably make it harder. But well, maybe. Uh, yeah, I guess that would make it harder. <laughs> but anyway, it's still it's like uh, it's it's an unprecedented sort of project, the, the Lion King. Oh ones. yeah, definitely. Um, and so to then after that's finished, immediately or probably while it was in production, take on cats. And then when that's finished, take on this full redesign of a character, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog in, what was it? Three months they had to do the full redesign. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, so it sounds a lot scarier than it probably was. I mean, I'm not trying to downplay the amount of overtime they probably had to do to get Uh that put together. But by the time the first trailer was released, which was, I don't know, a couple, like four or five months before the movie came out. Uh Um, 
at that stage in post-production, you're not going to have most of your shots finished. It would just be the shots for the trailer, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and even those, you're not expected to have them at 100%. Yeah, and especially because marketing will occasionally choose shots they want to put in the trailers that don't actually exist in the movie, and so you'll have to do special work just for those shots, mm. so it's taking time out of the other shots that are actually for the film. So it's possible that the amount of work they've done to make the creepy, evil Sonic um, for that trailer was not actually stuff that had been run through the entire movie yet. So while it definitely would have been a big deal to change, you know, probably the skeleton and musculature. Yeah, musculature, they had to re-rig like the, it, I heard. The, the re-rigging of the, the Sonic model would probably be pretty expensive and take quite a while. It probably wouldn't have been as disastrous as it would have been if they released that trailer like a month before release <laughs> and everyone was like, what is this nonsense? And they had to redo the whole movie. So it probably was pretty horrible and, and time-consuming and money-expensiveness- that wasn't a word. To fix the whole thing, um, but it, it wasn't as bad as it probably could have been. Hannah, did you see the Sonic the Hedgehog movie? I haven't yet, but I plan to. Um, well, we, I've obviously seen all the trailers. Well, we saw it, and uh, I think the most uncanny thing about it was, honestly, the product placement. Yeah, that is very true. <laughs> like, oh, no. More so than the design of Sonic, or the interaction between human and, and CGI was just... The sheer amount of What's Olive the... Garden, Mellow Yellow, Puma Shoes. Zillow, Fitbit. Oh my god. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, that was that was rough. That was intense. I wonder if like the kids picked up on that, because it's so in your face. It is very apparent. Like, um, do they know that these things are commercials? I don't know. Yeah, I, hope I they... do have to wonder if all that was in some way meant to recoup the losses of the Sonic redesign, or if that it was had to be in the it from the beginning, because it was all the live action. Do you think they did reshoots just well, to put it easily, in Olive Garden? They could have easily reshot that stuff. Nothing in there that would have been like, oh, this was clearly from the original shot. Right, but that house, that was, was that a, do you think that was a set? Or it was most was likely a set. Um, but even with locations, you can always go back and do reshoots. Okay. Yeah. All right. Never mind. There's no <laughs> guarantees in anything now. Yeah, everything's a lie. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the thing about like you know something like Justice League, where there literally doesn't exist a Snyder cut because it's you know they had shot some of the things, but none of the VFX work was done on them, so mm-hmm. they're just these cardboard cutouts running around. Yeah. <laughs> People in, in green screen suits running around in green screen <laughs> okay, backgrounds. But, here's my question: Do you do you agree that the the old Sonic looked like a monstrosity, like, <laughs> I, or or do you think that should have been allowed to go on the screen? Like so that's 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 the real question. I would have been very curious to see the final film with the old Sonic, just because the first 15 minutes <laughs> of the movie is Sonic just stalking a bunch of characters, and I think it would have been a lot creepier if he looked as terrifying as he did. <laughs> um, I feel like all of that was redone, because you remember the um, the crazy old man, that would have been the original opening. Probably. Almost definitely. There was this creepy old man who was like, I see you, you blue devil. And it, like, there's a scene where Sonic is like running around springing all of his bear traps, and you can tell that when it was shot, it was done very slow and kind of creepy, as sort of like a almost like a horror opening. Maybe. But they clearly clipped it. I I don't know. I, that's that's a hundred percent theory. But uh, based on what I saw, that would have been the uh, the cold open, not the you know <laughs> happy fun running around a CGI utopia kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, anyway, so yeah, the original design of Sonic. I have a lot of respect for because it doesn't it doesn't uh, it doesn't compromise. All right, <laughs> it is very clearly. It feels like nothing but compromise. What are you talking about? No, no, no. the original design didn't compromise anything yeah. because it was rather than like a cartoon character, it was this is an alien hedgehog from another planet where hedgehogs can talk. You know, like the line that Sonic has at one point in the movie, he says, um, you know, I'm a hedgehog. I think that's pretty obvious. It's not. He looks like, you know, Mickey Mouse. He's got gloves Mm -hmm. that he wears, you know, that make him look more cartoony and and sort of call back to the minstrel shows that that Mickey Mouse was based on the vaudeville. And he's uh, Mm -hmm. got huge eyes, just massive, like non-animal looking eyes. And he's got, you know... He's just like a cartoon character. Uh, that's what he's supposed to be. He's got a big head and little spindly right. noodle arms. But in the original, he just looked like an animal. You know? 
some kind Did of creepy like an animal, alien he, he animal. Looked... The thing is that I don't fully agree with that, and I think that the original design of Sonic, going back to our topic of the Uncanny Valley, I think the original Sonic was closer to that because his face had very human features to it. A lot of people yeah. were making jokes about him looking like the kid from the first Jumanji, which I agree with. But yeah. also, just if you look <laughs> at his teeth, he has very human teeth, which is very weird to see in like yeah. a hedgehog creature. But is it not true that basically any CGI creature with its mouth wide open looks fucking disturbing and weird? I mean, yes, but when you look at the same scene that they've done with the new Sonic, he looks more cartoony, so it's less mind-breaking to see that because we're not expecting it to look real. Whereas if you see a hedgehog that looks kind of real, and then it opens its mouth and it has a full set of human teeth, you're like, what is my mind doing right now? Yeah. You're but, trying to but you rationalize know, it. That's... This is my whole point, is that I think that in some cases, the Uncanny Valley is a valid creative choice. <laughs> and I think that was the case for the original Sonic the Hedgehog design. Could I, I have watched a whole so. movie of that without leaving the theater? I don't know. But there's something artistic about that. That, like, this is the horror of but encountering movie, the fictional David. in the real world. It wouldn't be cute. It wouldn't be cuddly. And I think that is a very interesting idea, but I don't think that's what they're trying to go for with the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Yeah, thank you. I, I don't think that's the artistic uh, intention behind. But this is something that Sega's Freud writes about video a lot. Game movie. He writes about Sonic the, the Hedgehog. No, not Sonic the Hedgehog okay. necessarily. But he talks about that the uncanny is an encounter with the fantastical, the fantasy in the real world, and that. Really, when you when you read like fantasy literature, if you were to actually see some of the things, they would be truly terrifying to you on like a an existential sort of level, um, you know, because the uncanny is it's like the the bleeding over of 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 the subconscious into the conscious world, um, and I and I think that's 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 maybe why I like the original Sonic design so much because it is what if Sonic the Hedgehog were real. And were an actual creature with bones mm -hmm. and meat. And he had legs that are shaped like legs instead of like spaghetti noodles. You know, I think I think that's that's a true a true horror. And I would probably shoot it with a tranquilizer gun and be scared of it. <laughs> Whereas with this I'd be like, Oh, it's like a it's like cartoon character come to life. Alright. Yeah, sweet. it's basically Roger Rabbit. Yeah. But CG. Yeah. Um, and it also used a lot of the same techniques as Roger Rabbit, which have lasted until today, which is the, the having the physical model that's kind of shaped roughly like a Sonic mm -hmm. that he just kind mm -hmm. of carries around. Yeah. I mean, there, <laughs> the movie had a lot of issues with interaction because there's never a point in the movie where you feel like Sonic is really in the world. He always feels very cut out. Right. But um, I mean, but sometimes you can see where they had the model because... There's the one scene where he has the blanket over. Oh yeah, that was like it didn't look anything like the physical Sonic. It right. was much and it's just like wow, and... Sonic is really like stiff as a board, you know, yeah. light as a feather, stiff as a board <laughs> kind of thing. Like his feet are just sticking out really straight. And if you see the actual model they worked with, yeah, he's doing like kind of like a uh, like a tin soldier pose. Yeah. Um, and, and then his head kind of like just wiggles like a rubber thing instead of like a. An yeah. actual head. Yeah, and that's not uncommon in movies that have like a visual effects character. When you need to have your main character interact with them, you'll usually have a kind of rudimentary prop on set that the character or the lead actor can touch and interact with. And then you use those physical kind of references when you're doing the visual effects to kind of bring that into the character. So right. like when we were shooting Bumblebee, we had a big robot chest that we built so that when the main character needed to hug Bumblebee, we could have a big metal chest on set that she could hug. And then the artists could take that, see what it looks like when she's touching the metal and what the shadows do and all that. And then put a CG character in place of that and replicate the same thing. So right. for Sonic, they probably had a very creepy looking Sonic doll that I'm very curious to know which <laughs> design of Sonic it represented. Oh, it must have been the original. It must have been the original. Um and, yeah, they probably had that on set so that any time that James Marsden needed to touch Sonic or give him a high five or whatever, they would have that on set for him to do. And then uh, it's also possible they just had, a, like, a kid in a Sonic costume there because we had a guy on uh, stilts for Bumblebee in a few scenes. So but, but getting a kid on set is... Getting a kid on set, but they could have just gotten a very short person or, you know, just someone on their knees. Like, anything that you could do to, like, get the reference that you need. Because sometimes yeah. if it's going to be a scene where, like, they're doing a high five, obviously a doll isn't going to be great for that because it's not going to be able to do the same kind of motion. Right. Um, 
So they always use try to have some kind of analog or reference rather than just having it be like the actor interacting with yeah, nothing. But their because... high fives look terrible. Oh, they I did mean, for sure. They were some of the worst high fives <laughs> oh, I've ever no. seen. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, to be expected, I guess, in some sense, because if you don't have like the budget to have a little person with a hand <laughs> in, a, in a big rubber glove to do all the high fiving, then James Marsden is going to be high fiving nothing. Yeah. Not that it requires a huge budget to get that, but sometimes it's just forethought and like, what are we going to need to shoot the scene? Or right. maybe later on they decided they wanted to have that high five, and it was after they had a point. Where right, they could that's true. That. It's you don't you so, don't ever see full James Marsden fully doing a high five pose. Yeah, there's a lot of scenes in that movie that I thought were interesting, where it would show like a really close up angle of Sonic like kicking something. It's like, okay, well that's clearly just like a shoe on a stick that they're kicking something <laughs> with, but. Um, I want to talk about. Do you guys remember Son of the Mask? I never saw Son of the Mask. I saw The Mask. So, Me either. So The Mask, You're I think, almost one. works. Because, like, it's very cartoony, but at least, like, his face is real. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, practical. And when you do the freaky CGI effect, it's, like, supposed to be kind of freaky, and it's just for a second, and it's done. But Son of the Mask right. had a full CGI baby. And that was the worst thing I've ever seen. Because I think... I think babies are somehow more uncanny than like full adults. Yeah, well, that's like the uh, the Twilight baby that they built for. I haven't seen the Twilight movie, but it's either three or four. Oh God, uh, yes. Yeah. They had like a CG. Well, they originally built an animatronic baby that was a true monstrosity, and I recommend <laughs> anyone now go look up uh, baby uh, animatronic on Twilight because it is horrifying. <laughs> but they decided that it looks too horrifying because they made it CG and didn't really make it any better. So. Yeah, babies are hard to do, for sure. Yeah, I just looked up the Son of the Mask baby photos, and it's it's bad. Right, and I mean, there's also, they do the thing where the baby will do, like, a deep adult voice, and that's really uncanny (laughs) to me. Like, it'll just go like, Father, what are you doing? And then, like, he'll freak out, because he's like, oh my god, the baby's talking in an adult voice that's fucked up. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it just, it keeps going and he does a bunch of cartoony bouncing off the walls things and has like real cartoon face, but then goes back to like CGI baby face. That one's uh, to me is the most, uh, uncanny film that I've ever seen. And I saw it when I was, you know, like, really, it's not the Polar Express because I'm pretty sure it's the Polar Express, David. So this is like the question, right? Is it's like, what's more disturbing? Is it something that's clearly CGI moving like a human, you know, through motion capture? Something that looks like a doll that moves like a human. Uh, this is something also that Freud talked about. Is the idea of animated beings that we assume by but looking it's... at them are not alive. Or things that are alive that we're looking at that look... Yeah. So, like, is it more creepy to see Polar Express Tom Hanks puppet who moves like real Tom Hanks... But we know that it's a dead doll. That's the thing. Wait, no, 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 it is his movement. It is. It's captured, right? But his movement isn't. It's yeah, it's mocap. But it's like the limits of mocap aren't quite. And it was also right at the beginning of when mocap was starting to become a thing. It wasn't a fully developed technology yet. Well, like certainly, like his face isn't moving. His hands aren't moving, which is the creepy part. It's he's a doll. You know, but the doll is moving like a human being. The the, the walking is it's realistic. Moving. The moving of the hands is very realistic. The creepier thing about that, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's Polar Express, which is the one where they didn't have other actors to do the other facial capture for the different characters. So if you look at like the performance of some of the kids, it's Tom Hanks doing that facial performance. And it's very strange to see Tom Hanks' performance on like a five-year-old kid or whatever. Yeah, Wait, they couldn't just get the that's... kid to do all of it? Because they had one kid actor, at least. They must have, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's that movie. I could be wrong, so don't get Quote angry at me, people listening to this. But I'm pretty <laughs> sure if you if you go up and look at it, there's there's some scenes where it's Tom Hanks' face on other characters. I mean, they didn't take his actual face and put that no, on the other No, they just captured one, his mo- but motion. But just, yeah, the motion capture of it. Right. So I think that's the very... It's almost supernatural, this thing, which is, you know, to to make, like, a Chucky living doll that is powered by somebody else's movements i always felt this way about the donkey kong country vhs mm. tv show do you remember this <laughs> nobody the crystal yeah. coconut the crystal coconut no, i remember because first of all the motion capture people don't know how to move like a gorilla but also <laughs> be like a person 
but they've captured this movement and the CGI is really bad. So they look completely fake. It should be, you know, the, the, the total left side of the uncanny Valley where it's totally cartoony. So it should be fine, but they move like, like puppety puppet (laughs) men. And it's very, it's very strange. It's very bizarre. And it's almost like there's a person in a, in a monkey suit, but they're not. Because they they wouldn't fit in that suit, so it's how a did digital you do monkey it? suit. It's a digital monkey suit, so I think like that's uncanny. That's uncanny valley. Um, but then the question is: Is it more uncanny to have a fully CGI baby that doesn't move like a baby at all? It's moving like an adult. You know, it's running around the room. It's bouncing off the walls. You know, it's uh, it's doing the hello, my baby, hello, my honey dance, for, like, like the frog. Mm-hmm. So I think that's right. more disturbing than even having the motion be, you know, actual human motion. So that's, the, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm definitely with you. I think often baby CGI can be, like, the creepiest and, like, most jarring. Um, like I, I think in the, certainly in the, the old version, in the movie version of the, the series of unfortunate events, the CGI that they did Mm, for, um, the baby Sunny was a little bit off-putting, but I'm going to say like the Netflix TV show, just because, you know, they have to do more with the character. Um, you know, that baby really (laughs) has to pull some some cgi moments right i think they mostly like keep the the head as regular head and i think they're able to through trickery kind of you know just just animate the body in a way that's that's kind of plausible did you watch the series unfortunate events i saw the the original uh, jim carrey one but Mm -hmm. i haven't seen the netflix show why is jim carrey in like all of these it's a good question. In the mask. <laughs> He's probably just the owner of the Uncanny Valley and just brings people into it. <laughs> His acting is yeah. uncanny. Yeah. He well, always yeah. looks like he's being puppeted by something. He can do very strange things with his face. <laughs> that is for sure. Um, yeah. Alright, I want to return to Cats for a moment to talk about... Uh, and we can cut this if it just becomes too horrible and awkward. <laughs> but... Freud talks a lot about how a lot of the things dealing with the uncanny are are sexual in nature, that we 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 don't want to be exposed to things that are both unreal and sexual at the same time. I mean, what else does Freud talk about besides sex? Yeah, very little. But he <laughs> yeah, talks a lot like about like nothing. the castration of of uh, of of watching, you know something that's like coming right at you coming for your eyes or something and that's uh ah, forget that no the that powerlessness really of that feeling <laughs> i mean i think you know we we as the audience feel castrated by the fact that idris elba doesn't have balls in that one scene yeah it was probably equally painful as being castrated at least yeah right and uh, like doesn't somebody we, get in the balls in that movie yeah uh i think it's and cats? uh what's his name Rumble Shanks. Yeah, the the railway cat. The yeah. God, what's his name? Ray uh Rumtum Tugger. I know that's one of them. Ray yeah. Winstone. Ray Winstone cat. Yeah, he gets hit in the balls at one point. Yeah, I don't know. That movie's just uh, too yeah, it's just too weird to even quantify. I really enjoyed it. I sh- I feel like I should say for the record. I don't think I said that yet. Here's a Here's a question. Um, have either of you guys seen, like, the stage play version of Cats? I've like, looked up uh, clips of it, original? and it looks, you know, just as freaky to me. Yeah, I hadn't seen anything of Cats prior to going to see the movie. I'd never heard the music or seen the stage play. I like the songs. I, I like uh, I like the one about uh, <laughs> Mungo Jerry and Rumple Teaser because their names are funny, and I, that's it. I strongly disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite song? No. <laughs> Do you have a least I, favorite song? No. I dislike them all equally. <laughs> <laughs> Even Jellicle Cats, it's such a bop. It's a bop. Uh, can you fly on a broomstick to places far distant? It's just so Andrew Lloyd Webber. It's very much that. Just every part of it. Um... Uh, yeah, and I should say that uh, I do like musicals in general. I'm not just hating on, <laughs> on musicals, specifically Cats. It's just cats. Yeah. Um, okay. 
what, what about, you know, let's talk about Lion King for a second. Because obviously this movie is so technically advanced, you know. You almost feel like the animals right. are there. Is there ever a moment where you completely lose yourself and you're just like, oh, that's a real animal? Do you, fe- do you, do you feel that at any point when they're maybe not talking? Mm. I mean, I haven't I seen mean, the Lion King. Definitely so. when they're not talking. Yeah, so my, my opinion is limited. But from what I saw in the trailers, there were definitely a few shots where it did look very, very convincing. Um, I think it kind of falls They've into just... like the opposite kind of problem of the Uncanny Valley, where it's something that... like doesn't feel quite real where it is something that feels very real but it doesn't capture the same kind of emotion that you would want a, like a cartoon to be able to capture mm, right because like a lion can't emote in the same way that a human can so fully succeeding in capturing what a lion looks like actually limits you because you're not going to be able to have it perform the same way that a human could so you kind of have to like go into that weird uncanny lion human valley in order to get the kind of songs that you would in the original animated one right right I definitely agree with that. And then I also wanted to touch on de-aging. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of examples of, you know, completely CGI'd human uh, beings. Um, and then there's examples of partially CGI'd human beings because either they're too old or even deceased. Uh, we talked about this mm-hmm. with Star Wars a little bit. So who's yeah. the worst Star Wars CGI character? Let's do it. Let's run through them all. All right, well, let's see. Grand Moff Tarkin was in Rogue One, along yeah. with Princess Leia. Both terrifying, but I think Grand Moff somehow less so, because he's, you know... I would disagree. He's yeah, so shriveled and opposite old because, always. Yeah, but Grand Moff Tarkin, was a, he was a full CG character. There wasn't a stand-in for that, whereas Princess Leia was just CG augmenting another character to look more like uh, right. Carrie Fisher. Not Carrie, but somebody I, else. I, I yeah. think the CG augmentation that happened... Um, for the Princess Leia character at the end of Rogue One is probably... I, I thought it was the best. I thought it was the most convincing. Um, I know that that is well, just, kind I never of an unpopular opinion. I to look not terrifying. I mean, he'd look terrifying even but when he was alive. But he just looked so clearly like a video game character. You know, like right. there's something always kind of slightly off about like the lighting or just the texture. Yeah, video of gaming and, is, has always been interesting because almost every like uh, major first party title like has has been going for a realistic style for a while now. Like those AAA All games. the AAA titles, they're they're going for realism, but it never looks real but yeah. but people don't care i know there's there's that whole thing when uh la noir was coming out and rockstar had this like really fancy hammer technology that they used to like record like every single crevice of a person's face because the whole game was being detective and like being able to tell when someone's lying by looking at how their mouth right. is downturned or but something they just look like and it, it, rubber dolls right. yeah i mean it's definitely a big step forward in just like the amount of articulation and, and the way the faces right. move but it doesn't still doesn't look real right. ever I, or what about, right. like, Kevin Spacey in that one Call of Duty? Mm-hmm. I mean, he always looks creepy. Yeah, but I don't think Call of Duty is going for photorealism. Kevin Spacey's in a fucking Call of Duty? Well, if they're not going Jeez. for... If yeah, they're not Kevin going... Spacey and Kit Harrington. I don't know if they're in the same game, but... <laughs> yeah, I don't remember that either. <laughs> kind of wild. They might be. It was, like, Advanced Warfare yeah, or whatever. I think Kit Harrington was in the one where they're on the moon. All Call I, of Duty's all I know stupid. Is that I'll say it's a stupid in... game for dumb people to enjoy and have a good time. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, I think they are going for some kind of photorealism. They have to be right because what stylistic choices are they making to stylize the character? Oh yeah, That's no, true. it's it's for sure photorealism, and I think you know they're bad. they're <laughs> inching ever closer towards it in the same way that you know movies are. Right. But they'll not. Ne- but do you, I think they'll never. They'll never quite get because they're always going to be dealing with humans, and we're so good at recognizing humans as whether they're you know fake or, or real. I think you know uh, twenty seventy seven the cyberpunk mm-hmm. or whatever is is really trying to make it so that like uh, Keanu Reeves is like in that game, which I guess is easier because more of him is covered with hair. And he's also part robot. And he's part robot. Which helps. So that helps. (laughs) Yeah. Why does that help? Isn't that weird? That if you, like, make somebody, like, half machine... Well, it's because you're not expecting them to be as recognizable human. If you know that he's supposed to be, like, a regular human, then you can look for those inconsistencies. But if he's part robot, then you can kind of, in your brain right away, like, oh, well, he's a part robot, so the fact that his face is kind of stiff, like, maybe that has to do with that. 
Right. It's the Mitt Romney effect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh, where to go next? You see the Irishman? I didn't see the Irishman. It's one of those ones that slipped oh, me by. Oh, the aging. Wait, wait, wait. Did we did we finish with Star Wars though? Oh no, like, yeah. So I think Jar Jar looks fantastic. All right, I feel like he's really there. I agree. There, like for the time. Jar Jar oh looks God. great. Yep. Jar Jar was in that room. Now Dexter Jetster, on but the he's other an hand. alien. <laughs> Not so much. He's sort of tubby, and you know that that fat is simulated. So maybe skinny characters less uncanny than fat characters? Question mark. Well, Sonic is as skinny as you get, and he was. Very uncanny. Right. <laughs> hmm. Uh. Yeah, I don't know. But like, but like, uh, the fat cat from Cats was also very disturbing. Which one, James Corden? Yeah, because he's in a fat suit. Yeah. On top of already being, you know, not the chubbiest guy, but you know, he's not a stick figure. But mm-hmm. fat. Yeah. That was pretty disturbing to me. Because he was moving, unlike yes. any real fat person. Um, <laughs> well, and he was like, he he had like the cartoon body, like like the body of a cartoon fat cat, but then the face of James, James Corden. Corden. Yeah. Like it's just why are these two things together? <laughs> it doesn't seem all right. More Star Wars. Correct. What else? There were the CGI stormtroopers, right? And they're in costumes, but the effects for the time just weren't quite there. I don't think. And so... Yeah, they look great when you see them from afar in, like, a huge matte painting, but then when they're up close, they're very clearly CG. Um, Right, which made, you know... CGI Yoda. I hate CGI Yoda. I hate him. But the puppet that they used in that one version of Phantom Menace, I thought was even worse. I don't... What what (laughs) happened to puppet technology in the years between, you know, 1982 or whenever, um, you know whenever Empire came out, and, like, this modern puppet. 2001. Do you remember the puppet from the original version? From the original Star Wars? Yeah, yeah. of course. So the original Phantom oh, Menace. Oh, Phantom Menace. No, I actually haven't seen that clip. So they, they changed it in the re-release, in mm. the Blu-ray or, or DVD release or whatever. But originally, when it was shown in theaters, Yoda was still a puppet, but he was, like, a very plasticky, sort of modern-looking puppet. Interesting. And Could it have been more of a camera technology and being able to capture those details of him more No, clearly? it was clearly a very different material that mm. they were using. It wasn't felt. It was some kind of plasticky Maybe they're thing. trying to simulate a younger Yoda. Right, they were, this must have been what they were he going was, for. He was less wrinkly, and as everyone knows, Yoda turns to felt as he, he grows more old. moisturized. <laughs> <laughs> right, but then they replaced him with the CGI one, and it looks better than the puppet, but worse than the original puppet, the 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 80s puppet. Yeah, Frank Oz. <laughs> hmm. uh, what other CGI characters are there in Star Wars? Um, there's uh, Lupita Nyong'o. Who I mean, doesn't need a Star Wars name because yeah. her name is already Lupita Nyong'o. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, like, all right, well, we just accepted that, you know. We just accepted how she looks, even though she's like more horrifying than CGI Yoda. Yeah, but I thought she looked fine for the most she's part. She's a character who I keep forgetting exists because she's only important in the first movie. Yep, they basically wrote her out. She comes back in the third one for no reason. She comes back in the second one for no reason. Yeah, Did for like that. three seconds. By phone. She, she literally Oh, she just in. calls in? Yeah. Oh, right. She's the one who tells them where the hacker is, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Which didn't end up being helpful at all. No. Not even remotely. Uh, yeah, so that character's uncanny just because, like, what is she even doing in this movie? Um, <laughs> that's That's my perspective on it. And she's sexually attracted to Chewbacca, so even worse. <laughs> I must have missed that subplot. Uh, yeah, no, that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? I I, I do want to talk about de aging. Uh, you know, as we're getting further and further into this episode. Um, yeah. Because, like, in like The Irishman, for example, like they they spent so much money that that movie had a huge budget to make. Uh, <laughs> just just to make robert de niro look like he's in his you know 50s instead of his 90s <laughs> or how old right. he, 50s instead of his 80s um because he always looks old in the movie even when he's first starting out yeah 
he moves like an old person. <laughs> you know, I think that's part of it. Well, there's the the Samuel L. Jackson de aging in um, Captain Marvel too. Right. I always like, thought that you know, that worked pretty moving. well. Yeah, I thought that on the whole that one was pretty effective. Partly because I I think it works well on his face, but like what you said about the movement, yeah. I think holds true for that one as well, where he's still moving. Like right, I think, but he's wearing an actual Samuel Jackson uh, wig, right? I mean, I'm assuming he is. Yeah. So, yeah. like, that does a lot of the heavy lifting as far as de aging, is the wig. Um, who else? Really? What about, uh, what about, did you ever see, um, Benjamin Button with old, I, old Brad Pitt? I, Brad Pitt? Did I? I feel like I did. It was a long time ago, though. It's been a minute since Benjamin Button. <laughs> right. Well, that always looked really weird and gross. It almost looked like the Doctor Who David Tennant as an old oh, elf god, man. Oh, god, yeah. In, uh, in that one but, episode. But, like, worse. Because it was too shiny. Like, that's, that was always the thing about CGI in the past, and, and, you know, still somewhat to this day, is that oftentimes it's just, like, the light yeah, that, texture on, on things is, like, so hard to do. That was something and that bugged me a lot from Sonic, actually, is that when you watch the movie, Sonic has those giant big cartoon eyes, and every single scene with them, there's this huge highlight in his eyes that is just completely unmotivated mm. by any of the light in the actual mm. scene. So there's just this constant shining on him and shininess that doesn't seem to be coming from anything in particular. And so it really makes He's you just... He's just glowing. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is yeah. tough. Yeah, because you want to be able to like read his eyes and get them to feel like that kind of eye texture where it is kind of glossy and reflective. But when you overplay that and have the highlight in there for so long, when there isn't a big strong light behind him, it wouldn't really make sense to have that highlight as much. But I feel like if you lose it, then the eyes start to look kind of that, that dead, dead plastic look. And so you're in this rough middle ground <laughs> right. of not being able to do either and have it work. Should have gone with completely human, gross, disgusting eye yeah, just, that causes yeah. people to flee the theater in terror. Would have been better. <laughs> and no gloves. I mean, I, I can think of <laughs> I can think of a, an example of uh, aging versus de-aging uh-huh. at the end of the Harry Potter film franchise to do the epilogue. They like do this. <laughs> they weird just gave them bigger chins. Technique. That was like all they did. Great, they and like. Some weird wrinkles and right. Well, I mean, I feel like aging it's better practical, but de aging you have to use CGI because you have to you know clean up right. their face, yeah, and tighten up wrinkles and right, you know, make their face less saggy. Yeah. Do you remember what movie was it where they had to de age Professor Xavier? Do you remember which one that was? I feel like it was no X Men Origins Wolverine. Maybe. I'm going to believe you because I've not seen a lot but of But they X-Men made him look like films. a fucking egg. <laughs> so that was no good. Um, Just a shiny white egg. Do you have a, a you know, a, a particular VFX uh, based film that you, that you find the most interesting, Charlie? Uh, yeah. Did you see one that just made you go, I need to do better than this? <laughs> Ooh. That's a good question. I mean, in some ways, uh, well, I don't want to say cats because I talked earlier about how I actually didn't mind the VFX in it, but it is one of those movies where it's just like you wonder how it could <laughs> right. have been done. Um, I do think the main issue uh-huh. with that movie was the, the design of it more than it was the execution. Right. And that falls more on Tom Hooper. And I think that goes for a lot of them. Like, you know, it's like the, the design for Sonic being so different. You know, that's what makes it watchable. Yeah. Even though, like you said, a lot of the CGI aspects of it are, like, not good. You know, the eyes and the... Yeah, know. I mean, they were fine. Like, But you just never bought him as a physical character. Like, he right. always felt very Roger Rabbity and, like, he was just a cutout in this physical world. Right. And I think, um, you know... Like, the Pikachu in the, in the Detective Pikachu film. I always, like, wonder, like... So... He's really cute on the film, but if you saw him in real life, it could be demonic <laughs> in origin. Oh, well, a lot know. of the Pokemon in the film were. They were very creepy looking. Right. Well, a lot of that's intentional. I mean, certainly, like, Mewtwo is supposed to be creepy. Yeah. But, and then the Greninja, I've never understood that design. Uh, it's always been bizarre to me. It does not look much like a frog and looks much more like a mutant, evil demon. Um, but Pikachu himself, you know... 
it's it's like it's when you go down the sliding scale of the uncanny valley you start out in a completely animated pikachu from the cartoon totally adorable and then if that appeared in the real world you would maybe be disturbed by it because it's like oh an animated being in the real world but then as you get closer you know then it becomes even more terrifying because it goes from a cartoon Pikachu to a furred, <laughs> textured, real object, but that shouldn't exist because a Pikachu mm-hmm. shouldn't exist. But then I just wonder, like, as you get even closer to reality, does it just become like a big rat? And then is that even that terrifying or is it just a big rat? I mean, a big rat is pretty terrifying. How big does a big rat have to be to be uncanny, though, right? You know, we've got rodents of unusual size. Like, I I think you get, like, a toaster-sized rat, and people are like, what the fuck is that? (laughs) That would be my reaction to seeing a toaster-sized rat on the subway. Right. What about a, you know, what about a toaster-sized squirrel? Because a squirrel is cuter than a rat. fucked up. Yeah, but it'd still be kind of fucked up. It's too to big. Toaster it's very big. Squirrel. It's too big. I don't like it. All right. So in conclusion, too big. Uh, <laughs> that's what uncanny is. Yeah. It means too big. The eyes are too big or too shiny. It's right. too shiny. Why is it so shiny? Yeah, Hannah, did it you moves, end up reading like the the Heidegger and the <laughs> and the Freud that I sent you? I read the Freud and I sort of browsed through some the Heidegger of the is tough, Heidegger because he's um, he writes very densely. I and Germany. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> sure. No, I get it. I was just curious if you did. Um, so, like, what were your thoughts on the Freud and the uncanny? <laughs> I mean, like, I I like I agreed with it. Like, I get it. I understand where he's coming from. I also think, you know, he's Freud. So everything's about sex and everything is right. But he was also talking about like core myths of, of like our being, it it almost started to sound like young, um, the way that he was writing that like, before we're even born, we know that it would be like really weird if we just saw another one of us, like, in existence like that would be kind of disturbing to see like a double of yourself that just appears and we know before we're Mm -hmm. even born that like a doll that's dead moving on its own is scary but for some reason all kids love toy story because we believe that they're not really toys but i think kids were really scared of that movie small soldiers i love small soldiers I was always terrified of it. I thought that movie was amazing. Remember when, like, the Barbies start, like, trying to murder the lady? Yeah, but they're supposed to be scary. The heroes are, like, the weird Wookiee-looking guy. It was a terrifying film for me because it was too real. That was the uncanny <laughs> to me. Like, the original, like, you know, Toy Story, none of the people look real. None of the environments look real. It's all just like a cartoon. You're like, all right, I can enjoy this. Fun fact about the first Toy Story, the reason that Andy doesn't have a dad is because it would have been too expensive to have another human character in the movie. So, only his mom appears. And his sister. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that would have been that would have been just ridiculous to have a father. Two parents? Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't know. I think... There is something to I that. I mean, I'll, I'll say this. As someone who who currently watches children watch a lot of media, um, you know, what a kid is going to find scary or not is, it varies so wildly. Mm. You know, like one minute they're fine with so seeing that really girl beat up a bunch of villains. So Freud can't really generalize as to what is uncanny between uh, cultures, between families, between this and that. Right. So the thing that terrified me when I yeah. was a kid that twilight zone episode with the doctors that are actually pigs and i think it probably was a very uncanny thing because you see this character that's supposed to be vaguely human but they have this weird pig face that is very much not human and that freaked me out a lot as a kid for some Mm -hmm. reason even though the episode is very much not the scariest out of all the twilight zone episodes it's very spooky and then it's they used the the same prosthetics guy who did um the the masks episode Mm -hmm. where they put on the mask and they take it off and their faces are deformed to look like the masks um yeah that's that's freaky and it's also partially because like the eyes move and they're very human eyes but the face is distorted and 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 weird i think that's the uncanny so it's not just cgi but because of cgi we've been 
completely immersed in the uncanny, which, you know, when when Freud uses the word uncanny, he's using it to mean unhomelike. We don't really have a word in English for it, but it's it's something outside of home. Um, it's something familiar that's being twisted into something unfamiliar. Um, and I think right. I think that's very true and that we're we we all kind of feel like we don't have a safe point in our media anymore because even when it's comforting the media, it's also just inundated with fakeness and plasticity. Though for the record, there are CG characters that have been done in such a way that people don't even realize they're CG. Like when you're watching Logan, the scene where X-Men is fighting himself, the, the other Hugh Jackman is 100% CG. There's not an actual face there. There is a stunt double. Oh, I thought that there, okay, there is a Yeah, there's a stunt double, but from the shoulders up, it's 100% CG. So that is something that most people wouldn't have even thought was visual effects in, in some way because he looks so real but right. it was completely cg so there are very effective moments of it it's just fewer and, and more right but this is what i'm saying right so like even when we see things that are real we never we never feel completely at home yeah. when we're at when we're at the movies because we we recognize that, that the difference between the uncanny valley and something that we don't even recognize as fake is so slim now parasite you know, well, the entire upper half of that uh, house is CGI. You know, a lot of the, you know, sets and everything to create extra depth is CGI. There's so much VFX now in, like, every big budget project that, that you, yeah. we don't even realize. Been... And I would say, especially, I was talking earlier about other specific vendors the for cosmetic fixes. There's a lot of actors that you've seen on, on film that probably have had lots of touch-ups in ways that you don't realize. Um it's pretty crazy what artists can do these days in, in ways that you would never even think it was VFX. Sorry, what were you saying, Hannah? Um, well, I, I was just, you know, talking about the uncanny, you know, becoming more commonplace in our lives. You know, we could spend like a whole nother 20 minutes just talking about like beauty filters on phones and, right. you know, like... The, but the they don't make us feel the uncanny, just... do they? Like, when we look at that... I think they it's, do. It's almost like, like hiding the uncanniness of... of reality, you know? The... Well, I, I mean, so yeah. So, I mean, like, part of that is Facetune. But I think there is an uncanny feeling that you get when you can look at a photo and immediately tell, like... I see what this person was going for, but they've just made their eyes like half of their face. <laughs> and now like, I can't look at them anymore. You know, like, like you can tell when someone's done a bad job Photoshopping or, you know, I think some of the like Instagram filters that exist are, are there, you know, as quote unquote humor filters, but like, it's all about the uncanny, you know, it's about making your eyes pop out from your head or making your like lips a million times bigger. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the humor and joy that comes from that is certainly there. Um, but it's only because we know it's so strange, right. like we can accept that strangeness. And I think the uncanny is just when we can't accept that strangeness because we're not necessarily expecting it or the world doesn't want us to like right. accept it for well i think it's reason. just weird to me that the uncanny valley as we recognize it has not been used more for actual horror you know like yeah when we think about I the think uncanny that's, valley that's true. we think about oh this is an accident in a kid's movie that just made it unintentionally creepy or in an action movie that made it unintentionally creepy but why is it not used more in horror to would, create that un- unsettling feeling. I would point you to two examples. First, there's a movie things. called Splice, which is very weird. Mm. And it's uh, and very these, sexual. Yeah. Um, and the creature in that is very human, but also very inhuman. So that right. was, I thought, pretty uncanny. And then also, I think the, the effects they did in Ex Machina were great. And you have this character uh, played by Alicia Vikander, and her face is there and it's completely human real, but yeah. there's this entirely CG robot body around her. And so it's very kind of mind breaking to see that. And I think that was very effective in a kind of horrifying way. Right. But I mean, like to do it in like a subtle way, like what if you just had a movie that was a horror movie and you just completely de-aged like half of the characters mm-hmm. and that would just be freaky. You just be like, what the, f- what's going on? You know? And it would, you wouldn't have to do any, like have a monster and it. it would just be what the, f- 
those people aren't real. <laughs> and your brain would tell you that. I don't know. I think I think that's an option. I think the movie Us was trying to draw on the uncanny as Freud defines it. You've got doppelgangers. Oh, You've got definitely. the scissors that represent castration. You've got... Um, you know, uh, all the use of coincidence. Freud talks about how coincidences themselves can be uncanny because we just don't expect, mm-hmm. you know, those patterns to appear in real life. You know, winning the lottery on the same day that you get hit by a bus. I don't know. Like, that's uncanny. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, we're, we're just yeah. about out of time. But uh, do you have any uh, closing thoughts, you guys? Don't see cats. It's not <laughs> worth it. No, I feel... Hannah? <laughs> Um, no, I, that, that's it for me. Thank you, um, so much, Charlie, for being here with us today and for lending your expertise to, to our I would not call it expertise, but thank you very much for having me. It was a blast. <laughs> yeah, literally any time that you want to come on and talk about <laughs> shit. I mean, we're, we're happy to have you. And if, uh, if you guys like Charlie, let us know, because he's, he's clearly very modest and he needs, uh, he needs, his, yeah, he needs tweet, as much support as possible. <laughs> tweet at us at talking tropes or uh, comment wherever you find the the link to this and, and let us know if you love charlie and uh are as glad that we had some hollywood royalty uh, on it <laughs> <laughs> all right i'll see you guys later bye bye bye